All right, Tico, how you doing? I know you've had a few days out from the drumming, but listen, man, when you get back and have a chat with John, um, could you find out what's going on with his vocals? Uh, he's changed things up a bit lately. My wife's long-time Jovi fan, and, well, she's well. neither of us are really digging what he's done with the vocals lately. It's, I don't know, just a little bit odd, so... If you could have a little word, that would be appreciated. The other thing I'm calling about is your recent purchases. Bubble Gumshoe, super nice. I love that book. I've played it one time, haven't run it. I've got to get it to the table. It's really in my wheelhouse, along with um, Kids on Bikes. I don't know if you've got that, but I love the artwork in there. Nice little simple book. Blades in the Dark, also lovely. I haven't played it, but there's some great ideas in there. Anyway, take care. I'll catch you later. So I spoke to John the other day, our regular weekly call that we uh, kind of bounce ideas back and forth. And I was talking to him about the same thing. Just uh, seems to be getting a little soft in his lyrics. And, uh, you know, go back to your strength, John. Go back from cliche to cliche. Add those in there and whatnot. But he, he's just too worried about the gray in his hair. He just can't seem to give it up. The boy's still got a full head of hair, and it's all full and poofy and everything. But he was always like, you know, I just don't have the confidence now that I have the gray hair. And I'm like, John, man, bro cream, dude. Bro cream. So, I don't know. I think uh, put a little color in it. Maybe you'll start rocking it again. Hey, Tim, Jason here. Really enjoyed the Manor After Dark, your Cthulhu unboxing. Lots of fun, good stuff. Glad that you – it's interesting, you know, having a collaborator with Matt Jackson in your new campaign, having somebody to bounce ideas off of is actually really cool, and it's got to be nice, you know, in a creative sense. You see so many people every now and then they'll post on forums or on Discord. Hey, I'm running my game. I've got some ideas. What do you guys think? But having like an active collaborator that you can easily bounce ideas off of instead of posting to a random internet forum is kind of cool. So I I think that's kind of neat. Anyhow, take care, and I will try to roll better than you. Hey there, dude. It's John here from the Red Dice Stories. Just been listening to your Cthulhu unboxing that you and Ivy did. <laughs> I just wanted to say, dude, really made me chuckle with all the sort of banter and the back and forth. And it's brought a bit of merriment to an otherwise fairly bland work day for me. So I just wanted to say thanks very much to both of you. Keep up the great work. I look forward to hearing more in the future. Take it easy. That's from Jason and John Large. Thank you guys for calling in. And yeah, Ivy always makes my podcast much more fun. It's it's always uh, a lot of fun when she's on there and we kind of go back and forth. And uh, yeah, we were getting goofy that night. So, so uh, she's like, are you going to post it like it is? I'm like, yeah, why not? What the hell? <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, guys. So it's this is a Sunday afternoon. Well, actually, Sunday evening podcast. I've kind of been down the last week with a pretty nasty sinus infection. I'm still kind of fighting it. You probably can hear. Uh, but uh, back to work tomorrow. Got to fight through it and whatnot. Um, so, but also it's game nights tomorrow. It's our third session in the campaign, and uh, I wanted to talk about failure in game and I don't want to I don't want it to 
seem like failure actually is a bad thing in game or any time actually i mean it, you, you know the, you learn a lot from from the screw ups and everything but i think in game i don't think failure is developed enough or it's not much of an option or failure in game a lot of times means death and uh and i i'm probably generalizing that a bit too much but I think it does. I think a lot of times that's exactly what it means. You, you you went to, you know, you went to go do something and it didn't succeed and you end up, you know, assuming room temperature. Well, my premise for this urban campaign that I'm running, running is there is going to be degrees of failure, success, um, all the time. These guys are going to be doing investigations and, and different um, heists, which they tried to perform last week. I'll kind of uh, give you the highlights of, of, the, of the game uh, to make my point. But uh, they, because of the game itself and the setup and the philosophy of the campaign that I'm kind of using, camp- failures is definitely going to be there. It's going to happen. Uh, not everything is going to be successful. Uh, these guys aren't going to come away with a hundred percent win. I mean, they've already blown that already. Uh, but I think it makes it interesting because even what happened in the, this past game, I mean, they failed, but just kind of, well, I'd say they, they probably, if I had to give it a, a percentage, probably like 75% failure, 25% um, success. And uh, here's what happened. So they, so th- the guys decided to go to the captain who had possession of the book at the time to go to his home to steal it away before the next day, which was going to be his uh, meeting with the Mage Guild, and then he was going to trade the Mage Guild uh, the book. And that was kind of a known thing. Um, so they wanted to kind of, well, they, they were basically knew that they had that timeline and once it went into the mages guild's hands, they had little or no chance of retrieving it because the captain knew the book was important, but he didn't, he didn't understand the complete importance. Um, so the guys did as much scouting as they possibly could, got as much information as they could. They did a really good job with that. They really did. Ask really good questions. <coughs> and um, tried to come up with some plans, but uh, it was they had a short time frame to work with. So some of the ideas that they came up with, which would have been good if they had a longer time frame, may have worked. But it, it just, in this case, uh, just didn't work out for them. So they go to the house, and Joe's uh, thief um, gnome snuck into the house. So we have, so in the party, we have Rob Conley playing an assassin. We've got uh, Chris, who's playing a fighter. And then Jeff plays a kind of a thief cleric person, but he, he unfortunately, he was unable to attend. Although he did, he did get on for a short time, and he had a, a, a very effective short stay when he could when he was eating some dinner to to take care of us earlier problem but he wasn't there for the actual heist so joe it was up to joe to do it and 
<coughs> one of the obstacles that they had to overcome, uh, not only to break into the house, which was fairly simple because the gates were not locked and the, uh, the window was open. I mean, everything was kind of going their way. I kind of made a few rolls to see how easy it was. And the, the dice gods definitely favored them in this situation. And, um, and Joe, even, even unbeknownst to him, went into the window of the office where the book actually lay or not lay, just was there. And, but the, the, the one thing that he had to contend with, he knew that the, the, uh, captain had two pets, two dogs, you know, dogs as pets, bull masses. So they're big dogs, but they're not, they're not like the true, like I'll tear you apart, you know, junkyard dog kind of thing. They're big, goofy pets, but you know, pets will defend their territory. Uh, and you know, um, so he ended up getting in pretty well. I mean, he snuck in, he was fairly quiet. Now what I did for this one guys is because it's more of a heist and there's no really rules for that. I actually borrowed from Zarkov. I don't know if you guys know Zarkov is if you don't, you should. He writes incredible adventures and he's the, the author of neoclassic Greek revival. Um, it's a system completely different from any other system that you've seen or played. I guarantee it. And he has this, and from what I remember now, I haven't read it in a long time. I know I have two different versions of it. I have like the first and third edition of it. Um, uh, from years ago, he and I talked about it and whatnot. And then it, then he kind of, uh, exploded on, you know, did got it on its own and everything. But, um, he has a fishing mechanic in his game. And I took the philosophy of that and applied it to this game. And Jeff was telling me there's, there is a clock, clocks or something like that for Blades in the Dark. Uh, but I haven't really had a chance to read through this. But the suspicion thing kind of worked a little bit more in this favor. Because it, it not only takes into account like the noise and, and maybe some small failures, but it also takes into like how you approach things and how you... Uh, dress even, you know, if you, if you go into a situation and you're not dressed appropriately, you you build suspicion by drawing attention to yourself, even through dress or by race or something like that. So, so you have different things like that going in. So I kept track, I kept a suspicion, what do you want to call it? Tick meter. So if he reached a certain amount, and I think at the time I was just doing three more before the dogs would really detect them, they might start growling it too, but they wouldn't really start looking or going after maybe who it was until, uh, they hit three. Joe got in really good. The only problem was, is he tried, he, he tried to get a little bit too fancy and, and, and uh, you know, this is not a criticism or anything, but when you're in those kind of situations, you want the GM to have you roll as little as possible. So anything that would require a roll, I would not do. <laughs> Just because I know the more I roll, you know, I know I'm going to screw things up. Well, in this case, it worked. It, it ended up, he tried to use one of his, he got fancied and tried to like jam a door. He has this thing that uh, he, as a tinker, he made up. It's kind of like a spring loaded, um, door jammer thing. So it would secure the door that you, sh you know, you push underneath the door, he'd activate it. And it would basically work as a, 
a brace for the door so people couldn't get through. Well, unfortunately, when he implemented it, he rolled a one. So for me, that meant that as he <laughs> as he activated the spring in it, instead of locking the um, um, jammer down, it actually kind of shot it out from underneath the door and it hit the desk and made a whole bunch of noise. And then Joe tried to hold the door shut against two bull mastiffs that came charging in. And he, you know, in my game, the, you know, his gnome's like two and a half feet tall, and he and he's only got a seven strength. So the the, the bull mastiffs just basically plowed in and like flattened him against the wall between the door and the wall. But he was able to kind of scramble out of there. Well, when he did, he he actually saw the book on the desk. So he he made a few nice. Uh, he came up with a really good idea that he was going to jump from the shelf because he climbed up on the shelf. And the, and the room wasn't that big, so jumping from the, the shelf to the um, to the desk, and then the, the window was right there too, so it was a short jump through there. So he grabbed the book, but I, I kind of gave him the um, decision, like if he wanted to jump out the window with the book, the target number for him to succeed it would be higher if he tried to do it one-handed um, because he had the book in the other in his other hand so he decided to throw the book out out the window um, <coughs> and little be and then unbeknownst to Joe once again in the in the earlier session Chris was there he when he saw the book and um, he saw the captain kind of put the book down and a couple of the pages fell out. So Chris knew that they were basically loose in there. So when, when this book fell, got thrown out of a two story uh, window, it hit the ground and the pages just kind of exploded into the air. Now the other two guys who were downstairs gathered as much as they could. And uh, Joe made his way out the, out the door. <coughs> Excuse me guys. And, um, so when it ended up happening, then the chase began. So all three of them went in three different directions. They grabbed as many pages as they possibly could, and the dogs took chase after them. So all three of them went three different ways. The dogs just went after Joe. They just, you know, they knew his scent. They had already caught the scent, and so they went after him. And gnomes, as you know, don't run very fast, you know. And uh, and I can't remember what happened, but he ended up getting caught by the bull mastiff. And I don't know anybody out there who's seen the movie Turner and Hooch, and uh, the dog, the bull mastiff uh, Hooch, had Tom Hanks pinned down to the ground by his neck, holding him there, and like Tom's like squirming underneath his mouth. It was a pretty funny scene. That's kind of what happened to Snickle. So this, this uh, bull mastiff has got him pinned down. And then, of course, he gets caught by the captain, and then, and basically, he the captain had blew this, blown this whistle, and it uh, um, alerted the neighborhood watch. So Nickel ended up getting thrown into a military prison for the time being. The captain didn't have time to question him; he was going to try to recover what he could. <coughs> and now he's got to figure out how to, you know, what happened, and he's got to, you know, he's. So, so Snickle didn't get dead because there was no reason to kill him, one. And two, it would make no sense to kill him uh, because he needs that information about where, you know, where the 
why he wanted to do it. Captain doesn't even know that there's pages missing at this point in time, you know, because he's too busy chasing the chasing Snickle or whatever. Now the other two guys, they ran into some resistance from parties unknown. Both of them, even though they were both went in different directions, they were both intercepted by three different people, and they ended up uh, dispatching those pretty quickly. Actually, there wasn't a lot. Uh, <laughs> they made short work of those guys. But that's where it kind of ended. So Snickles ended up in the military prison and the other two guys went back to the temple to kind of regroup and assess what exactly the results are. They don't they don't really know that he was caught yet, um, other than out of game knowledge. But the one thing I didn't take into account is Snickle throwing the book outside the out, out the window and them only retrieving like a partial amount of the pages definitely adds an interesting twist to the situation. Um, they got the body of the book, and I said that they got, like, after I did a couple rolls, they retrieved half of the pages. So the other half are kind of blown around in this guy's yard for the most part. <clears throat> and the book is already complex enough to read, even with all the pages intact and in the right order. Now you have this book that's kind of blown up in half, and you're not, sh and they're not sure what pages and order that they go because it's not a straight reading book. That's what this uh, Theodessa's book is known for: is the complexity of it and how to try to figure out and read it. She was she, as much as she enjoyed uh, gathering the research for the um, items she was uh, writing about, uh, she also is a bit of a I don't know what it would be called. A linguist or a codist, somebody who likes doing, you know, kind of code with linguistics and whatnot, and adding that into her text. And actually the format, because it's an octagon book, shape book, and the pages are were octagon, and they folded out in different directions. They weren't just always, uh, you know, what is that, left to right, so... Or, or, or whatever. So there's eight different ways pages could fold out at any time. So it, it made the complexity of the book uh, very difficult. So now they've got this kind of partial puzzle, partial enigma that uh, they have that they wanted to get. But they also have the, the problem of Snickle being in the military prison. <coughs> and I have some, and I, I kind of have a few ideas that I've already written out that uh, I plan to explore. Um I think it'll be fun. Of course, I'm not going to mention them here yet because of uh, little ears listening and whatnot. But uh, I think this this kind of failure definitely adds a depth to this kind of campaign. I mean, it can really it can it allows me as a GM to take something that I thought of. And, and just kind of play on it, continue, kind of delve deeper into it and make it worthwhile for the players and myself, actually, to do. Because uh, um, it's something that the players are now going to be kind of vested in. They, they've already went through all this trouble to kind of, um, exp you know, to steal it. And then one of them has, has went to prison for it and... And now, you know, they only have a partial amount of it. They, they, uh, so 
I'm hoping, I don't know if it'll work out this way, because of the time and effort that they spent into it, they're invested into it, so if there's something that comes up later on, it'll become of somewhat of an important issue for them. And uh, and I'm always looking for those kind of organic um, connections between things. And I think uh, having that failure, degrees of failure worked into your game, that doesn't always have to be death, and especially in this kind of campaign, I think it, it makes it a lot more interesting not only for the players, but I think for, you know, for me, absolutely. It definitely keeps my mind working and churning and, and taking me on surprise terms. And, it may, and that really makes it fun for me. So, all right, guys, that's it. Um, tomorrow's Monday. Got to go back to work. Boo-hoo. But it's game night. Yay, hey. And we'll figure, and then I'll uh, uh, do a cast on um, how they resolve it or if they resolve it. So, all right, guys. Take care, roll better than me, and we'll talk soon.